This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. What you believe about God matters. What you believe about God matters because it affects how you view yourself, how you view other people, and how you view the world. Theology means the study of God. Everyone has a certain belief on who God is, what the Bible says, on who Jesus is. And so a series like this is meant to point us to the truth of who God is, which is laid out in the very scriptures. And the point of that is that we would worship God, that we would be people who adore him, who treasure him above all things. And so today I have the privilege on preaching on the sovereignty of God. Now, the sovereignty of God means that God has absolute rule and reign over all things, over his creation, because he is king and creator. And so I'm going to be using Isaiah 46 to show us the sovereignty of God, because I believe Isaiah helps us to understand his sovereignty. So we're going to be in Isaiah 46. I'm going to read through the passage, and then we'll walk through it together. Isaiah 46. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal? And compare me that we may be alike. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I'll bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. I think what Isaiah is trying to tell us in this passage is that God's sovereignty sets him apart from false gods, 
God's sovereignty, his rule and reign sets him apart from all other idols. We're going to look at this passage in, in three movements. First, the foolishness of false gods. Secondly, the true God sustains. And third, the true God is in control. That again, the foolishness of false gods. Second, the true God sustains. And third, the true God is in control. Let's look at the first point, the foolishness of false gods. Uh, Isaiah starts off mentioning Bel and Nebo. Uh, These were Babylonian gods. Uh, Bel was the grand master god and Nebo was his son. And so the Babylonians every year would have a festival and these gods would be carried in their procession together. But notice how Isaiah paints this picture for us. Although these are their gods, they're being carried. You see this in verse 1. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. These gods are being carried. Not only that, they're being carried into captivity. Verse 2. They stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. And so it's important for us to realize and know that Israel at this point in their history was in captivity. They have been exiled by the Babylonians. And God is going to do something amazing here, as we're going to see later on, is that he's going to rescue his people. He's going to lead these gods so-called gods, into captivity. The very ones who took the Israelites into captivity. But notice this. Look at, go down to verse 6. It says, Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. Verse 7 says, They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, does not answer or save him from his trouble. These very gods are created. They were molded and fashioned. This is why Isaiah says, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. They can't save you. Yet, the Babylonians would worship these created idols. Isaiah 44 actually gives us a great picture of this. That someone creating an idol takes a piece of wood. Part of it he burns in the fire. He makes bread with it. And the other half he actually fashions into a god. That cannot move, that cannot save. And it's foolish to worship and adore a false God. The Babylonians wanted to be in control. And once you make a God that's suitable for you, you can control it. Rather than that God, rather than you serving that God, that God is now serving you and your purposes. And so Isaiah is going to make a contrast which leads us to the second point that the true God sustains. Notice the contrast. Verse three, listen to me, O house of Jacob, 
all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from your birth, carried from the womb. God is the one who actually creates. God is the one who actually creates all of humanity. Contrast that with the false gods who are created. Verse four, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. God is the one who carries and sustains the people of Israel. Contrast that with the false gods who are the ones that are being carried. They can't save. Think about this. For the last eight minutes or so that you've been listening to this message, you have been breathing. And we may not think too much about how we breathe, but we've been breathing for the past, however long you've been born. God is the one who has been sustaining your breath while you watch this and worship with us. This past week, the past several years, God is the one who is sustaining you and sustaining every single person on this planet. The very God who created the world is sustaining us. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is upholding the entire universe. See, God is independent. He is not dependent on any human being. He is free to do whatever he wants according to his nature, whatever that pleases him. And God chose to create humanity. Look at verse five. He asked the question, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? You can't compare the true God to any other God. He far exceeds all that we imagine or think. Think about this. Before God created the world, he existed. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed for all of eternity. Not needing anything or anyone, a perfect love between the members of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect unity, perfect fellowship. Only a sovereign God can be like that. Only a sovereign God can create and carry and sustain his people. Uh, this very God, Isaiah mentions in chapter 45, he is the potter. And he can do what he pleases with the clay that he makes. Isaiah really highlights this for us in the third point that the true God is in control. The true God is sovereign over all things. He first tells them to remember who he is. You see that in verse nine, remember who he is. And secondly, remember what he does. Verse eight, he tells them to remember the former things of old. Remember what I did in the past. And so he's talking to his people the Israelites, 
and telling them to remember who God is. And we desperately need those reminders because we forget who God is. We forget how great and mighty and amazing our God is. That he is the one who sustains us. The very one who created us for his glory. Here are some examples of things that the Israelites and we too need to remember what God did. One example is the life of Pharaoh. If you remember in Exodus, the people of God, the Israelites were enslaved. And God raised up Moses to lead his people out of slavery. And there were 10 plagues on the people of Egypt. And Pharaoh was disobedient. Pharaoh did not want to let God's people go free. But it's really interesting that we see that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. He did not want to let God's people go. But what's also interesting is that at the same time, the text tells us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardens Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened his own heart. That gives us a glimpse into God's sovereignty. Here's another example. The life of Joseph. Mistreated by his brothers, sold into slavery, elevated. And at the the end of Genesis, what does Joseph say? To his brothers, the very brothers who mistreated him and sold him into slavery. Joseph says, what you meant for evil. What you meant for evil in your mistreatment of me, your slavery of me. God, the very God who creates and sustains, he meant it for good. How is it that God can use a situation like mistreatment and slavery to bring about the good of his people? It is because he is the sovereign God. Another example, the life of Job. Job, a very righteous man, upright Satan is looking, going back and forth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? And what does Satan do? He tries to destroy the life of Job. And yet it was because God told him. God said, have you considered Job? You can incite him, but spare his life. God had the very authority and control over his life. And so now God is telling the Israelites, remember what I did in the past, but now look to what I am about to do. 
Look to what I am about to do. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. What is God about to do? What is he going to do for his people? Because he's so committed to them. The Israelites many, many times would forget who God is. They would forget what he did for them. What is he about to do? He is about to save his people. But how is he about to save his people? Verse 11 says that he's going to call a bird of prey from the east. A man of my counsel from a far country. What's going on here? God is going to use Cyrus to lead the Babylonians into captivity. God is going to raise up Cyrus to lead the Babylonians out of captivity so that his people can be free. He will do this. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 1 tells us this. Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. How is it that God can raise up Cyrus, another king, from a different nation to rescue his people. This is, this is not something new that, that God has done. God actually, Isaiah tells us, early on in, in Isaiah, he tells us that God raised up Assyria. For what purpose? To actually punish his people. How is it that God can raise up Assyria to punish his people because his people sinned against him? His people rebelled against him. So God raised up Assyria. And then guess what? Assyria became arrogant. They became proud. And so God punished Assyria for becoming proud because they punished Israel. The very God who created all these nations and sustains them raises up kings to do as he pleases, to accomplish, accomplish his will. See, there's a temptation for the people of God to forget what God has done. I find it interesting that in chapter 48 of Isaiah, God tells them that the reason why I told you that I was going to rescue you before it happened was because of this. Verse 4, chapter 48, because I know that you're obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from of old before they came to pass. I announced them to you. Here's the reason. Lest you should say my idol did them. My carved image and my metal image commanded them. So the temptation for the people of God was actually to revert to idols, 
was actually to say the idols are the ones who did this rather than the true God. The very God who has been sustaining them their entire life. Although the Israelites would grow old, God never grows old. And so there's the temptation to forget In Isaiah 49, it says, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And so we have to remember the people of God, the Israelites are in captivity. You could read about this in in Jeremiah. The people of God are, are in captivity for years. They are suffering due to their sin. And so the temptation for them is to say, God has forgotten me. God has forsaken me. And that, what that causes is, is anxiety. It's distrust of the triune God who rules and reigns over all. And brothers and sisters, we are tempted to do the same thing. How often are we anxious, worried, wondering, If God is who he says he is, is God actually in control of all things? And so the last uh, couple of months, we could be thinking, what in the world is going on with our world? Is God really there? Has he forgotten his people we who have not been able to gather together for the last three months. Is God really who he says he is? Ask yourself this question. Why is it that I get anxious? Why is it that I worry and doubt whether I worry about the future whether I worry about my children, my career, my life, why is it that I worry? And God says, do you trust me? Do you believe that I am in control? Do you believe that I am the sovereign God and that I will accomplish what I set out? The people of God are about to see salvation. And although salvation is far from the stubborn of heart that you see in verse 12, God says this through Isaiah in verse 13. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. How is it that God is in control? How is it that God is sovereign for his people, Israel? Well, God was going to raise up Cyrus to deliver his people. God was going to raise up another king to deliver his people out of captivity so that they can actually go and rebuild the temple. They can go and rebuild the walls to protect them, 
so that they might worship God. That's the whole point. The whole point is that the people of God would worship him, would adore him for who he is, would acknowledge that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. But it's interesting. Look at how Isaiah paints this picture for us in verse 13. God says, I bring near my righteousness. I will put salvation in Zion. So their salvation is not dependent on them. It is because of their sin that they are in captivity in the first place. But the very triune God was going to rescue them. It was his doing. But we have to remember why Israel was in captivity in the first place. It is because they had rebelled against God. They had turned away from God. They had forsook their God and worshiped idols, which God had prohibited them from doing. So their salvation here that is physical actually points to something much deeper than a physical salvation. Their hearts needed to be saved. Their hearts needed to be changed from turning away from God to worshiping and adoring the sovereign God. Isaiah paints this picture for us in chapter 53. That God was going to raise up a suffering servant. The righteous branch of, rest of Jesse. A Davidic king who would die. Who would suffer. Who would be mistreated. Who would be betrayed by sinful men. But Isaiah 53 tells us something quite interesting. Verse 10 says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, meaning God, has put him to grief. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Before the world was even created, God the Father made a plan to save and redeem his people with God the Son. God the Father made a plan to redeem his people with God the Son. The Son was going to accomplish their salvation. This was before the world even began that God had planned this. The sin of Adam and Eve did not take God by surprise. He was not shocked. It was before creation that God had planned that this was going to happen. That he was going to accomplish all of his purpose in redeeming a people for himself. Acts chapter 2 
and chapter four also hints at this and tells us that although Jesus was crucified by sinful men, this was the very plan of God. So at the cross, we see the sovereignty of God, that Jesus was put on a cross to die for his people, but it was God who had planned that. The mistreatment and betrayal of our suffering servant was planned by God because he loves his people. He is committed to his people. So when you ask yourself, does God really care? Is God really in control? We can look at his word and say yes. Because at the cross, we see the sovereignty of God on display. God had planned that his son would die for his people. The second Adam, the second Adam, the Davidic king, would give his life for his people. So Christian, God is committed to you. God is so committed to you that before you were even born, before the world was even created, he chose you. He chose you that you might be reconciled to him, that you might be brought into fellowship with the triune God, where there is perfect love, perfect unity, perfect fellowship. And that should be replicated in his church, the very bride of Christ. Christians who have been redeemed, have been reconciled to God, now show that love to their brothers and sisters. And so if you aren't a Christian, if you do not know this Jesus, if you do not worship this Jesus, my desire, the word, the word tells us is that you would bow the knee to Jesus. That you would bow the knee to Jesus because when D Jesus died and resurrected and ascended to the right hand of his father, he is the one who is in control of all things. Colossians 1 tells us that the world was created through Jesus he is the king because the father was pleased with him. And so all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ, the king who is sovereign and reigns over all. And so you bow the knee to Jesus, the true king, because he's the only one that can save you and reconcile you to God. But Christian, brothers and sisters, those who know Jesus, those who know that Jesus is the king that reigns and rules, we should ask the question, do I believe what he says in his word? As I had already said, the people of God 
the Israelites were tempted to forget God. And many times they forgot him. They forgot what he did. So when you are filled with anxious thoughts, worry and doubt about what is going to happen, can you believe the words of God? Can you turn to God and say, God, I don't know what's going to happen. And be honest with him. God, I don't know what's going to happen. I am fearful. I am anxious. But God, I know that you are the one who created me. You are the very one who sustains me. And you carry me. So I can cast my anxieties, my worry, my fear on Christ because, because he cares for me. So the sovereignty of God should help us to trust God more, to actually fall on our knees before him in worship and say, God, you are God. God, you are God and I am not. And it's so freeing to know that I don't have to be in control. Because guess what? We're not in control anyway. God is in control. And so we can submit to him, we can worship him, and we can adore him for who he is. Let's be a people that trust God. A way to grow our trust in God is through prayer. Bowing to him, asking him to help us and casting all our anxieties and worries and fears on him because he cares for us. Let's pray. Oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, you have sustained us. You have made us for your glory and your honor and your praise. I pray, Lord, that we will be a people who grow in our understanding of who you are and grow in our love and adoration of Christ. We thank you for him. We pray, Lord, that you would conform us to the image of Christ, that you would increase our faith that we would cast our doubts and fears and worries on you. Thank you, Lord, that you are God and you are in control. And we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.